0: Good morning. Good morning. Wasn't that amazing? Oh, I just kind of have to gather myself after seeing that. That was so awesome. I also realized I really didn't need to worry what I was going to wear today. I <laughs> spent a little bit too much time on that. And the smell from here is quite fragrant. So if I start sneezing, you know what that's all about. My name is Vanita Jones, and I'm part of the teaching team here with Women in the Word. And I have to tell you, this is my favorite time of the year. We have college football. We have women in the word. It is so wonderful. I think God knew that we needed that because he was going to make it 100 degrees in September. And we'd all want to move somewhere else. So he gave us these two wonderful things to keep us here. You know, um, I think the study of Luke is going to be awesome. I hope you're enjoying it already, just in our first week. You know, Deb shared with us last week that Luke was a, is a physician. He was a physician, and, and that tells us a lot about him. And it also shows us why he spends so much time on the humanity of Jesus, something we haven't studied for a while. You know, and Luke spends more time than any of the other apostles addressing Mary and the birth of Jesus through the eyes of Mary. I really guess I really never noticed that until I started studying this. You know, Matthew gives Mary roughly one or two verses, and then he skips right to the part where Joseph finds out that his, his fiancée is with child. And, and then we find out how God deals with that. Now, I think that's really important stuff, and we needed to know that. But he only gives Mary a couple verses. And then Mark and John, they skip right over this part, and they go straight to John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. So Luke is the only one that gives us this detailed account about Mary. And not just that. He gives us two full chapters on just Mary and Jesus and the birth of Jesus and his childhood. And so we have so much here to look at. And it's so detailed. Did you notice that? I think that tells us a lot about Luke. He was a physician. He would have been a man of detail. But we also know that being a physician, he probably was a man who cared about the social concerns of the time. He cared about women. He cared about the disadvantaged, the downtrodden. He cared about the underdog, if you will. But I think he also realized something. I think he knew that age-old theory that behind every great man is a great woman, right? Be crying, every great man is a great woman. And I think Luke recognized this. I think he recognized that Mary showed tremendous courage when she said yes to God's plan for her life. Now I want to take a few minutes, so we're going to start out first, and we're just going to read exactly what that plan was going to look like. I want you to turn to Luke 1, and I'm going to start at verse 26. And I'm going to read all the way to verse 38. And you can follow along in your own Bibles. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and you will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will be with him. The throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How is this going to be? I I think this is interesting. She missed all of that and said, "How's this going to be? I'm a virgin. Like I don't know if she caught all that. This other stuff is forever stuff, but I'm still a virgin." And then the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who has been said to be barren, is in her sixth month already. For nothing is impossible with God. And in verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Now, I, like most of you out here, have probably read this a zillion times. or oh, you've heard it read a zillion times. I know I mentioned to you a few times that I grew up in a small town in Kansas, and I went to a parochial school called Bethlehem Lutheran School for the first five years of my education. And we memorized Scripture every single day. Every single day. And, and this was always a big part of it, especially getting close to December, because our school put on one of the only two Christmas programs in, in the whole huge town of 250 people. And, and at that Christmas Eve service, if you had done really good throughout the year, you were going to get to recite some of this. Now, unlike Martha, I was never chosen. <laughs> Still a little bitter, but there was a lack of attention span that I had and possibly my lack of ability to memorize anything for any length of time that probably played into that. I usually had that special chair, Right there at the program next to the teacher. (laughs) But when they were reading this, there was always a picture of Mary in my head. And it looked something like this. Douglas, can you put this up for me? Like this. Okay? I would think about Mary and that's what would come into my head. And I'd think, wow. Wow, she's beautiful. She is beautiful. No wonder God chose her to be Jesus' mom. She's perfect. She even has a halo of light. I wasn't even in the running. I just, I would look at it and be honest, up until that point, up until I started reading this, I saw Mary as this kind of late 20s, mid 30s, very peaceful, always very calm, kind of praying hands, halo of light. And that's how I envisioned her. And I really thought, there's nothing here for me to take from Mary's life. Because I, I can't compare to that. Comparing anything in my life to that life was like trying to bake an apple pie with oranges. It wasn't going to make any sense at all. But then I started studying about Mary. And I'll be honest, I felt like that all the way until I recently started studying. I'll be completely honest with you. I started studying Mary in depth. And after I did, I started to realize that she wasn't exactly this her picture in my mind started to change to more like something like this. Douglas, can you put the second one up for me? Like this. Instead of that peaceful 20-something, 30-something praying halo of light Mary, Mary was a frightened young teenage girl. Because, you know, we read that she was betrothed to Joseph. And the betrothals could start as early as 12 Okay, that's when puberty kind of starts for some people, and that's when they could start betrothing their daughters to some men. So she would have been anywhere from 12 to 16, and just for the sake of my own sanity, I went with some of the commentaries from 14 to 16 and say 15, and then that kind of freaked me out because my daughter's 15, and I started thinking, what did that look like? I could see my daughter going, There's an angel just came to me, Mom, and she said, I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> I mean, she was 15, okay? And and this betrothal to Joseph would have happened. It's about 12 months long, the betrothal. And during that time, this is when they would have been doing fun stuff. Like getting ready for the wedding. And their weddings lasted days and days. And so there was a lot of preparation. And these betrothals, they were more binding than our engagements. Okay? They were almost like a marriage in itself. And in fact, the only way out of a betrothal, the only grounds for that was adultery. And to do that... It was a legal transaction that required a, something like a divorce, actually. So it wasn't as easy to get in and out of a, a relationship as it is for us. Now, knowing this, it helps us understand something about the man she's going to spend the rest of her life with, Joseph. I mean, Joseph had to have unconditional love for Mary. But it also tells me that Joseph was a man who trusted God's Word. Because in Matthew 1, 20 through 21, I see on your verse sheet I put, it says... But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. See, I believe that Joseph's character was an exact reflection of what God wanted in the man that was going to raise Jesus here on earth. But Mary, I don't think she was that peaceful 30-something. I think she was that young, teenage girl filled with fear. Filled with fear. I mean, she had to have so many uncertainties and fears as she faced these challenges. I'm sure it's not exactly what she had been planning for this betrothal. She would have been spending these months getting ready for the wedding, and, and Joseph would have been preparing their home so he could take her back to her home, his, their home after the wedding. And I think it's so important that we see Mary as this young, fear-filled, confused teenage girl, instead of just Mary with the halo of light. Because now, now we know there's something in Mary's life that we can put in our lives. We have something to glean from that. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look in Luke, and we're going to look at some portions of Scripture, and we're going to let Luke paint the picture in our mind of of Mary, a a picture that, that shows Mary on her journey of faith. And we're going to take that picture hopefully from here and it will be in our mind and we can use it to encourage us on our journey of faith, whatever that looks like. You see, the angel Gabriel presented Mary with some pretty outlandish information about what her life was going to become. I mean, really, did you think about it? That's some big stuff he just laid on her. And I feel like part of the reason she was able to, understand, or to take it in so easily and so quickly with asking just one simple little question about how is this going to happen I think it had to do with the fact that she probably knew the prophecies that had been handed down to the generations. I think Mary had listened to the scriptures that had been read to her by her parents. I think she knew God's word. I, I, I listed a few of these in your, in your questions and they're on your verse sheet. I'm going to read a few. There are hundreds of verses of prophecy that would have helped Mary understand what's happening. In Isaiah 7:14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. She would have known these things. And then further, further back in Daniel, ahead we see that, and we studied this a few uh, times a few months ago. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, all people. And this is talking about Jesus. Do you remember when Daniel had the, the, the dream about the four beasts? And one of those was a prophecy about the coming Messiah. It said, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All people, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So she would, have been, she would have been thinking about these things. And she would have known this like all the other young Jewish boys and girls. They probably knew a lot of this. They were looking for that Messiah. They knew he was coming. I don't think they realized, though, he was coming in such a humble form. See, they were looking for some instant relief from this suffering and this persecution that they had been under by the hands of the Romans. And I think they missed the point that the Messiah that was coming was actually going to save them from their own sin and depravity. He was going to give them eternal life because he was more concerned with that than he was being concerned about their earthly life. Now, I also believe that she not only heard God's word, but there's a part of me that has to believe that she planted that word in her heart and she allowed, allowed God's word to guide her and sustain her. And why do you think I think that? Well, I think when you look at her response in verse 38, just 12 short verses, when she was, talk, when she was given this outlandish plan that her life was going to become, she said Yes. She said, yes. I don't know how much time transpired from verse 26 to verse 38. I don't think it was a whole lot. And, and she made herself available when God called her into service. She didn't hem-haw around. She didn't think, wow, that's pretty crazy. And ask a million questions. She didn't even play the old I'm going to pray about it card for <laughs> six, seven months and hope he finds somebody else. In the meantime, no. <laughs> She made herself not only available, but instantly available. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She said yes. She made herself available. Even when that plan didn't fit into her pretty little schedule of what her betrothal would look like. Even when it didn't look exactly like what she thought it should look like. She said yes. Yes. I just ever wonder, did, did you, ever, do you ever think that, I wonder if she thought, do you have a better plan? Is there a better plan out there? You know, it reminds me of an analogy of um, I heard one time, and it's about taking that step and saying yes. And it was a tourist at the uh, Grand Canyon. And this lady is just taking in the magnificent Grand Canyon. And she just is walking forward and just trying to take it all, and she falls off the edge. And as she's flying through the air down to the bottom, she reaches out and grabs a hold of this scraggly old bush that's barely hanging on. And she hangs on and she looks up and she said, Is anybody up there? And she hears this voice. Yes, there is. And she says, Can you help me? Well, yes, I can. What seems to be the problem? Well, she goes, I've fallen down this, the Green Canyon and I'm hanging here by this bush. Can you please help me out? I will do you have faith well yes I have strong faith and that voice says then let go everything's going to be just fine and she hangs on and then she looks up again and she says is there anyone else up there with a better plan (laughs) don't you think Mary thought that there's got to be a better way. Can you not wait two or three months till I'm married? This would be a lot easier. Don't you think I could still be a virgin? We could make this. I would have worked it out somehow. I would have tried. That's why, another reason why Mary was chosen. But I know. does this sound familiar? You know, if the plans that God has for my life don't quite run smoothly or they're not working out exactly like I think they should be working out or they don't look like I think they should look, I start to think that maybe I got this wrong. Maybe God's got this wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm not hearing Him right. Maybe this isn't exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Have you ever thought that? And you ever thought about what if Mary would have said no? Did it ever cross your mind? It did. And I, it, that kind of blew me away. I had to take some time to think about that. What if Mary would have said, mm no way. No way. You're not coming in here messing up my life. Have you not seen I'm engaged to this amazing guy? And our future is so bright, we have to wear sunglasses. I don't want you messing up my life. No way, that's not going to happen. What would have happened? I mean would God have found somebody else? I don't know. I mean, would he have found somebody else? Or would he have gone ahead and accomplish his plan through Mary, and without her ever truly accepting that plan for a life, she would have just been miserable, complaining? frustrated, discouraged, angry all the time, and we'd be talking about she said no today instead of she said yes and how not to do it. I want to continue on in Luke, and we're going to learn more about Mary and what, what her life looks like and what we can apply to ours, and we're going to read on in verse 39 verse 50 to 56. I want you to follow along, and this is after she said yes what happens. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried into a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's house and she greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is a child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, and for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abram and his descendants forever even as he said to our fathers. And then Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three more months and returned home. See not only did Mary know God's word and she made herself available but see I think Mary made worship a priority in her life. Because the first thing she did after hearing those blessings from, from Elizabeth, the first thing she did was break out in a song of worship. She didn't race back to her best friend's house and go, you are not going to believe what just happened to me. I mean, she didn't. She stayed there and she, she wrote a song and she praised God. She worshipped him. And, and personally, I'm so impressed that she did this, that she waited to run to Elizabeth's house Until after she said yes. I mean, honestly, I probably would have ran to Elizabeth's to check out this baby bump first. And then go, okay, he's right. And then come back and go, yep, I'm in. But no, she didn't. She said yes, and then she went to Elizabeth's house. And I can just feel her excitement. The excitement of racing through the city, out the gates, up into the hills, up to Elizabeth's house. And when she burst in the door, Liz has got a baby bump. What a blessing to her. What validation to her. And then she receives this blessing from Elizabeth. And it had to be so encouraging to her. So encouraging. And what follows those blessings from Elizabeth is pure worship straight from Mary's heart. I love that. That's the first thing she did. And it's that kind of worship. It's the kind of worship that comes straight from your heart. And it reveals your humble state. And it reveals how mighty and powerful and sovereign your God is. She took all the human pride out of it. There was no, well, yeah, I have a halo. Of course He chose me. There was none of that. It was all about what her God had done for her and how mighty he was. Her song acknowledged God's love for her. It acknowledged God's authority over all the people. And it acknowledged that God was sovereign. It took all the focus off of her at this crazy time and it put squarely on God. Now let's fast forward and we're going to read those verses that I never got to recite back in those Christmas Eve services. And you'll probably just be able to read this off right along with me because you've probably heard it a few times. But I'm going to start reading Luke 2 verse 1. I'm going to read the first 20 verses. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken to the ...of the entire Roman world. This was the first sentence that took place... ...while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. George Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth... ...in Galilee to, Judea, to Judah... ...to Bethlehem to the town of David... ...because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary... ...who was pledged to be married to him... ...and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born... ...and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son... She wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "'Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ.'" The Lord, and this is a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of all the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and they had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who had heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had to say to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which which were just as they had been told. Luke gives us this detailed account of Jesus' birth and the shepherds that came to see Jesus after he was born. And I think we find our next point about Mary's life right tucked away, right in the middle of all of that in verse 19 where it says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, upon first reading this, I thought that Mary was probably just basking in the afterglow of when you first look at your newborn's face. But then I looked up the word uh, pondered and to see what it would have been in the original text. And the word was sambalo. And the word means, actually, when you're in this moment, you're thinking about everything surrounding this moment. That you're looking at all the circumstances, and you're considering everything that's led up to this very moment. And so that made me realize that Mary's not just basking in the glow of her newborn baby son. She was reflecting on everything that led up to this very moment. She was looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly. She was looking at all of it. See, Mary was encouraged as she reflected on God's past faithfulness. And because of this, she was able to recognize God's hand throughout her life. As uncomfortable, as crazy, and as scary as it may have seemed to her at times. Now, let's be honest. If she had looked at each one of these without looking at it through the, the eyes of God... Let's, let's think about this, okay? First of all, she found out she was pregnant and she wasn't even... She was still engaged to Joseph, not married yet, okay? Number one problem she had. Number two, she had to travel from where she was all the way to Bethlehem. That was 90 miles. She was on a donkey, okay? I looked this up. It would have been about a four-day, three-night three trip. On a donkey, sleeping on the ground, big pregnant, okay? Get the picture? Big pregnant. Donkey sleeping on hard ground. Four days, three nights. Nothing good. So I'm sure swollen ankles and everything that came with it, okay? And then she gets to Bethlehem, no vacancy. Everywhere. No vacancy. Nope. No place to stay. So they had to bed down in a barn. And I read that the barns were more like caves. Even worse. So it would have been cold, would have been damp, would have been stinky, uncomfortable, hard ground to sleep on, and that's where she gave birth to her first born son not exactly what I think Mary would have wanted not exactly what she was expecting not at all but it says that she pondered this in her heart and now we know that when she looked back she just didn't see the bad and the ugly Mary saw the good see Mary was able to look back in this journey of faith up to this point and she was able to see that Joseph went through with the marriage He's going to go through with this marriage. He stayed with her. He didn't leave her. She also had a donkey. She could have had to walk. I mean, how long would have that taken? And I read that this was one of the most dangerous parts of road you could be on. She was safe and protected. And, and God gave them a place to birth this child. Was it exactly what she would have had planned in her life? I dare say no. I I say no, not at at all. But the scripture says she treasured them all. And she pondered them in her heart. And you know, something tells me that when those shepherds got there, they got an earful of it too. I think she couldn't wait to tell them everything. Because it said in there, after they had heard all this about this child, she told them this. I know she shared this. Now in the remainder of chapter 2, we get a glimpse into Mary's life as the mom of Jesus. And, and nobody else gives us this. I personally have to secretly wish he'd given us just a little bit more. Just a little more like things like, what did she say to Jesus? Did she ever say things like, were you born in a barn? <laughs> yes, ma'am. I mean, how would he respond to that? Did he ever say, you wait till your dad gets home? Did she ever have to say that? Or did she ever have to say to her other kids, well, what, what would Jesus do? He would never do that. <laughs> I mean, did she ever have to do that? And did he, when he was 13, did he smell like a rotting goat or something? I mean, my boys, I have to fumigate their rooms every week at least, or we can't even walk in there. Did he ever smell that way? I just want to know all these little things that she had to deal with. But Luke does give us some stuff. And he gives us just enough to get that next thing we need to know about Mary that we can apply to our life. And that is that Mary obeyed God's laws in all areas of her life. Now, I hope you took the time this last week when you did your questions and read that 21 through 51 because there's a lot in there and a lot of, a lot of different things that would have given Mary encouragement and just I call them just God hugs for Mary because this couldn't have been easy. I mean, just, just stepping out with a newborn without him being the Messiah for the whole world is hard enough. So I'm sure that she needed God hugs and encouragements all the way through this because he was a child. But I'm going to go through today, and I've just picked out a few scriptures. I've put on your um, verse sheet, and these are going to illustrate exactly what I'm telling you about Mary, her obedience to God's laws. Luke 2:21 said that on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And then we go on in 22 and 24. When the time of purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what the law of the Lord had said, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. And then verse 39 said, when Mary and Joseph have done everything required by the law, they return to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And lastly, in verse 41, we see every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. See, I think in chapter 2, we do get this glimpse of Jesus' childhood. But more importantly, I think we see the high priority that Mary and Joseph placed on obeying God's laws. Now the last thing I think we learn from Mary's journey is possibly one of the most important things we can take from this. I want you to turn with me to Luke 23 and I'm going to start reading at verse uh, 44. And this is at the crucifixion at the time of Jesus' death. And it said, It was now about the sixth hour and the darkness came over the world of the whole land while the ninth... Until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praising God, had happened, praising God, and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw that what took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him to Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now, to actually find out who these women were at the cross, we had to go to John 19:25, And I put that on your verse sheet. And it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. See, Jesus, John tells us that one of the women at the feet of Jesus as he's dying was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. And and they were grieving. It says they beat their breasts. That was a sign of of grief and pain and sorrow. And she was grieving. And don't misunderstand me at all. I I fully understand that her tears and her pain had to be tremendous at watching her precious baby boy die in such a horrific way. I, I totally see that. But ladies, don't miss this. When I look at Mary, and Douglas, you put up the picture of Mary, the mother of God, God's only son, who was highly favored, highly favored by God. She embarked on a journey of faith, and it took her straight to the feet of Jesus And that's where she poured out her grief and her sorrow. I think it's so important that we realize that even Mary recognized her need for a Savior. She recognized where she should take everything, grief, sorrow, pain, everything, to the cross. And I don't think it's any mistake. At first I wonder, why would Luke not include that? I don't think that's a mistake. I don't think it's even an oversight. Because if you remember, we talked about Luke, how he was a man for the underdog. He was for the common man. He cared about that kind of stuff. And I think that Luke saw Mary for who she truly was. I think he respected her and saw her as the highly favored mother of Jesus. But more importantly, I think Luke saw Mary as a sinner in need of a Savior, just like the rest of mankind. Mary said yes. She said yes when God called her to be a servant. And then she embarked on this journey of faith. And that journey of faith, along that journey of faith, something happened. And and her son, he was no longer just her son. Jesus became Mary's Savior too. And not just her son. Ladies, this applies to us on so many levels in so many different ways. Mary, the mother of God's son took all her grief and her pain, her discouragement, her frustration, her doubts, her fears, all of it to the feet of Jesus Christ, her Savior. And that's exactly where we should take it. Each of us, just like Mary, are on a journey of faith. Now, that may come as a shock to some of you, but if you're here listening to these words, you're on a journey of faith. And some of you are well aware you're on a journey of faith. And that journey of faith is maybe taken to a place where it's a little frustrating. maybe may be sad. It may be lonely. You may think, what am I doing here? What purpose does this have in my life? You may even be, feel like saying things like, is there someone else up there with a better plan? There's got to be a better plan. I know I've thought that. As we embark on our own journey of faith, Mary's life gives us such a clear picture of what our journey of faith should look like. Number one, we should study God's Word. And I mean study it every day. I don't mean go to a Bible study every day. I mean not just study, but take that Word and apply it and commit to applying it to every part of your life. Don't just go through and pick out the stuff that seems easy and fit it in and, and, and be okay with that. Commit to putting it in every area of your life. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says this, that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for training, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every work. And that's every woman of God, too. And Hebrews four twelve says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Secondly, ladies, we have to be available. We live and die by our schedules. If anything comes into our life on a daily schedule, on our daily schedules that keep us from checking off that next thing on our list, it's a nuisance, isn't it? I know what it is for me. I get frustrated. I get irritated. and I'm like, i got to get this shit. Ch- I'm not getting everything done today. And I'm just... Irritated with anyone that gets in my way. See, saying yes to God's call means letting go of your own schedule and your own desires and being available. Don't get me, don't get me wrong, God doesn't need us to carry out his plans. He, he could do this on his own. But he wants to carry out his plans through us. Because when he does, we grow closer to him, our faith grows stronger, and then we're blessed in so many ways that he knows we could be blessed if we didn't say yes. We would not have those blessings. And there are wonderful examples throughout the Bible. We could go on and on. There's, there's Moses. There's Esther. Everybody out here could name off somebody else that just jumps to their head that said yes to God. And they took somebody who didn't have a lot and made did powerful things through their lives. But I think we have an amazing example right here in Mary. And when she says it in Luke 1, she says it perfectly. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Thirdly, make worship a priority. Psalm 61, 1 through 2 tells us that it's our purpose in life. We should shout with joy to God all the earth. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our... Or, I'm sorry, sing the glory of his name, making his praises glorious. And Psalm 95, 1 says, come, let us sing for the joy of the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. But I think it's talking more than just corporate worship. I think what we should be doing is, better yet, take it to that next level where everything you do, everything you think, everything you say points people to God. And with all your actions and your life, you're pointing out God's great power, His great majesty, and most of all, His great love for mankind. Paul tells us this in his own letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 1. It says, "Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This—listen to this—is your spiritual act of worship. It's not just coming here on Sunday morning singing, and that's wonderful. We need to do that. That is a marvelous thing to do. But it's in everything we do. We're pointing people back to God." That is true, pure worship. And number four, we have to reflect on God's faithfulness. I'll be honest with you. Your journey of faith is going to have some ups and downs. A lot. And it's going to be easy to get discouraged. You're going to get frustrated. And and at times you might even want to get angry. I have no doubt that Mary struggled with with this sometimes. She had to. I mean, everything she went through. How could she not have been frustrated or disappointed or discouraged at times? But it tells us she spent time reflecting on God's goodness in her life. And that had to be an encouragement to her. as She faced those difficult challenges throughout her life. And I think she was willing to share it with everyone. Psalm 78, 4 tells us, We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. See, that verse takes it to the next level, reflecting on God's goodness. That's not just us reflecting. We're telling our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our neighbors, the person next to you in the line at Albertsons. Anybody who will listen to you, share, share God's amazing goodness to you in your life. And if they won't listen, tell them anyway. That's what we're commanded to do. It's so important that we do this. And, and, and you have to do it on a regular basis to keep the funk away from your, your, your mind. If you're reflecting on God's goodness, you don't have time to get in the funk. And if you ever are and you can't think of anything good that God's done for you, just ask the Holy Spirit to show you. And then just get you a Diet Coke and some popcorn and we'll get ready because the show's about to start. <laughs> it will be blinding the things that He's going to show you. Fifth, we have to obey God's laws. This world, there is just no black and white anymore. But there is black and white in here, and we have got to obey His laws. And, and don't rationalize, don't pick and choose the ones that, that work out for you. And don't get the yabbits. I think I mentioned these before, you know, the yeah, but my neighbor is mean and hateful, and there's no way I could like that person. Or, or even, yeah, but my friends are really smart and give me wise counsel and a quicker answer than my own prayers. So I think I'm going to go to them instead. No yabbits. These are God's laws. Follow God's laws. It's pure and simple. In Psalm one nineteen two it says, "Blessed are those who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart." And Psalms 119.11 says, "I have heard, hidden Your word in my heart that I might not sin against You." I mean, it's pure and simple. Obey God's laws. And you are blessed by doing it. Now the last thing we can take from Mary, the study of Mary's journey of faith is that we can and we should trust Jesus with all our sorrow and our pain. You know, Jesus invites us to do this very thing in Matthew 11:28. 28. He says, Come to me, all ye who are, are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. See, on our journey of faith, we're going to have these high, high highs and these low, low, lows and all this stuff in between. Just like Mary. I'm sure that Mary had this. Remembering that picture of Mary at the feet of her Savior, Jesus Christ, should always remind us that we can carry our frustrations, our discouragement, our anger, our bitterness, all of it, right up to the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and lay them down there. And really lay them down. Don't pick up one or two of those bags and carry them out with you because it kind of feels good. I know I do the same thing. I'll, I'm going to lay it all down. And I take, well, just that one. I'm going to carry this one back with me. This is not a one-time deal, ladies. I know everyone out there, you're just like me. You've got to do it every single day. Lay those disappointments down at the feet of Jesus and then leave them there. And there, there are some areas in my life, I'll be honest, I have to do it by minute and by minute. Because I can't let go of them. Along our journeys of faith, like Mary, we should take all our sorrow and our pain to the feet of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can trust Him. He's big enough. He'll deal with them for us. Let Him have those and take that pure, sweet rest that He wants to give us. Please pray with me. Precious Father, your, um, Your words just pierce in so many areas in my life, Lord, I just, um, I love your word, and I love what you have to say for each one of us, Lord, I pray that Mary's life will become a life that we can um, just strive to be, Lord, that we would uh, take these nuggets of truth that you have shared, and we would just apply them in every area of our life, Lord, I thank you for these women and their their willingness to study your word, Lord, I pray that their words would not go void from here, in Christ's name I pray this, amen.